DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right, we got some college football. We got some basketball for you. Let's start with Angie Machado, the publisher of BeaverBlitz.com. She covers Oregon State football and interesting opinions on the Oregon State Beavers who played a lot of high-scoring games. My gosh, their games are entertaining. There are a lot of points, but a lot of changes on the offense. Uh, they're losing some firepower. It's the defense going to get better. And uh, how much do Oregon State people really hate Oregon people and Phil Knight? Ah, great conversation with Angie Machado. Angie Machado, publisher of BeaverBlitz.com, covering Oregon State football on the 24-7 Sports Network. Angie joins us right now on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Angie, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. So before we get into some of the specifics about Oregon State football, uh, do you think Oregon State has moved firmly out of the bottom of the league to the middle of the league, or that's a goal for the next year or two. Progress has been made, but not there yet. I, yeah, I think I think that's the the, the progress is made, and and they're moving toward that goal. Um, I mean, they're definitely they can compete now with anybody, um, you know, in the middle to the upper middle half. But um, as far as you know, getting over that hump, we we saw them get close so many times last year. They they won a couple of those close ones. They lost a couple of those close ones. So um, you know, getting over that hump is, is the goal this year. Yeah, and they did get better. There's no question about it. I think if they would have been even better, I think your quarterback, Luton, would have got a ton of publicity. I always thought he was underrated, and I was glad to see that Jacksonville picked him up in the sixth round, I think it was. And so he's gone now. What's going to be the situation at quarterback this season? Yeah, you know, Oregon State um, really is, pro- you know, most likely my, my guess is going to be Tristan Jebbia. He was the four-star out of Calabasas, California, signed with Nebraska when Coach Riley was there, um, and then transferred two years ago um, to Oregon State. So I really think it's Tristan Jebbia's job to lose. We saw him in the Civil War this past year when, when Jake Luton couldn't go. But there is somewhat of a, of a battle. You know, I think the coaches might blow that up a little more than maybe it really has to be. But they went off in the offseason and grabbed a one of the top JUCO quarterback, quarterbacks in the country, and Chance Nolan. And then they have a freshman by the name of Ben Goldbranson who actually enrolled early. We saw him, you know, the four days of practice at Oregon State was able to get in in March. And I really liked what we saw from him. Um, pretty highly rated kid, like as a sophomore, junior, committed to Cal, suffered a knee injury, and Cal dropped him. So he fought his way back. And like I said, I really liked what we saw from him. But I think ideally you want to redshirt him. For, for the season. Uh, it was kind of a two-headed monster at running back with Pearson Jefferson, and, and they combined for over 1,500 yards rushing, which is good and probably explains the four conference wins. Which, uh, had a running game you could lean on and count on. But Pierce is gone now off to, I think it was the Bears. Uh, Jefferson's back, is, so is, is Jamar Jefferson the guy, or will it be a two-headed monster? And if so, who else is coming in that can get some carries? Yeah, I mean, Jamar Jefferson, I mean, I loved that, that duo of, of uh, AP and, and Jefferson, just because they were such different running styles. But Jefferson was really hampered by some injuries last year. So we really saw a lot more of AP um, than maybe we would have, you know, ideally. So Jamar now is completely he- healthy. I see him being the guy. However, there's a guy, B.J. Baylor, who he, he wowed us last spring. So a year ago spring, he was really kind of 
stepping up his game. And I really see him being kind of that goat, that that number two guy that's going to be sharing carries. You know, Oregon State isn't looking for a guy to carry carry the load the full time. So whereas Jamar might be the featured running back, look for B.J. Baylor um, to be right in that mix, too, and, and see a lot of carries. As I look at the defensive side of the ball, yeah, they lost a few guys. Uh, got most of the guys, as far as I can figure out, and correct me if I'm wrong, coming back. As I analyze it and look for the top players, uh, am I correct in going with Omar Spates as inside linebacker as being the best? Uh, I, I would say he's one of, but I wouldn't um, overlook Hamilka Rashid, who uh, led the nation in sacks and tackles for loss this past year. So um, he's back as a senior outside linebacker. Omar Spates is an inside linebacker. So um, both those guys, um, you know, the Beavers defense will be, you know, locked down by that by that linebacking group. But Hamilka and uh, Omar are your two that you're going to be watching. So I look at the scores and I see a 52-36 loss to Oklahoma State, 54-53 to Washington State. But I see a 56-38 win over Arizona and 35-34 over ASU. And 48-31 over UCLA. These were all shootouts. High-scoring games, giving yeah. up a lot of points. Assuming the defense, and there's still some questions there, the quarterback's gone, two of the top three receivers are gone. Are, are we looking at a lot more high-scoring games, or is there something that's going to change on this roster that's going to prevent that, and maybe it's the passing game? Yeah, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting because, yeah, Oregon State, with, with Jake Luton at quarterback, and you had Isaiah Hodgins then, um, I mean, it was. They were shootouts. But um, the defense improved a ton. I mean, this was a defense two years ago that was one of the worst in the entire country in, sev- like, every major statistical category. So they took big strides last year, but they still were giving up way too many points. And I really hope, and, and I think Beaver fans hope, that this year, under the second-year coach, uh, DB coach and Blue Adams, that that secondary takes the next stride. Because that was really, you know, that back end is really where Beaver, the Beavers have struggled the past couple, several years. So if they can take a step there, um, you know, this is a group that when you look back and you dig in, the defensive backs have had some of these players that have played five years in the system have had five different position, position coaches. It's just been huge turnover with the coaching change and then just turnover with that defensive back coaching position. So um, Lou Adams is in his second year um, talking to players, talking to him just this week just having that second year, the familiarity, these guys feel so much more confident. So I think that's really the key for Oregon State to have a, you know, to stop more teams on offense. Yeah, that's a, that's a little concerning, particularly in this conference, because I've always said, you know, and I went to ASU, I've been following the conference for years, that this conference always seems to have big-time receivers, even guys who aren't necessarily on great teams. You know, you take a look at Cook's, back in the day for Oregon State. Obviously, he's been playing in the NFL for a number of years. And I can go on and on. ASU's had uh, first-round draft picks the last couple years. And so you speak of that back end. Uh, would you say that would be a weakness? Because I know they're losing a couple guys in Wilson and Moore. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't want to say it's going to be better, but um, you know the, the guys that they have, you, know, you, you look at David Morris is 100% healthy at safety. The cornerbacks, they went really heavy with the JUCO guys this, this past offseason. They signed five junior college defensive backs. Coach Adams not only played in the NFL, he coached um, several years with the Miami Dolphins. So he has a, a definite ideal of what he wants his DBs to look like, especially at corner, and he wanted more length. That's what he did, went out and got with these junior, junior college players. He got length. 
And that's something I think in the Pac-12 especially that you need to, to combat some of those big rangy receivers that, that play in the league. So a matter of how fast those guys can get up to speed. But, yeah, I, I just see that back end as being the key, really, for how this season goes for Oregon State. I, you know, offensively, I think – Whoever's the quarterback, it's a, it's a system that they're going to put up some points. They have they have some faster receivers this year. Um, the offensive line is a little bit of a question mark just because they've lost three starters there. But um, you know, Coach Mahalacek is one of the best offensive line coaches in the conference, so I, I think there's some hope there. But really, it, it, the season I think goes how the defensive backs go and how that back end plays. If they can stop some teams and, and stop. The, the bleeding that some of those big high-scoring games, then I think the Beavers will improve quite a lot. Opening with uh, Oklahoma State on the road, is that a good plan for Oregon State? Looking ahead, it looks like they've tried to schedule a little lighter in the future. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you have to look back, though. I mean, this is this is just the, it was a two two-game home and home, so Oklahoma State. You know, came to Oregon, came to Research Stadium last year. So this is just the the back end of that. Um, so I, I, that's the scheduling strategy. You know, back in the past, Oregon State had um, an athletic director that scheduled a lot of the body bag games. Oregon State, you know, had traveled to Ohio State. They traveled to LSU. They've done the TCU um, in the Cowboy Stadium. There's been several of those big, you know, payday games. Um, but to have you know when this game was scheduled you were thinking you know if you're the athletic director you're looking this would be Gary Anderson's fifth year in the program so I think you're you're looking at that thinking okay you know you should have the the program going and and it's a a pretty good matchup against a you know mid mid to upper mid-level you know big 12 teams so nobody could have ever expected Gary Anderson to you know quit on the team midway through the season so um back in in 2017 so that's Unfortunate, but I think you know if Oregon State wants to get better, they're going to have to play some of the better opponents. I've always felt in some of these places like Corvallis, it's good to have one of your own who understands. You know, I think that you can go in the Bay Area and up in Seattle and down in L.A. and maybe even down the road a little bit in Eugene because of the enormity of the program. You could bring in an outsider, and he won't necessarily miss a beat as far as recruiting and building a program. But a place like Salt Lake and and Carvallis needs one of their own. How important was it for them to get Smith in there, who obviously is one of their own? Yeah, I, you know, it was, it was an interesting hire at the time because, you know, this is Jonathan Smith's first ho- uh, head coaching job. So I think there was some question about, you know, him being able to, you know, it, it's a big job. You know, you're going from an offensive coordinator in the Pac-12 to a, a head coach, but he has not missed a beat. He's hired some really good people around him that, that know, um, you know, kind of can handle that back-end stuff as far as, you know, the director of, you know, chief of staff and all of that. So, um it's been huge, you know, for him to be able to go out into living rooms and say, you know, I've been here, we've done it. You know, Jonathan Smith was the quarterback back when Oregon State beat Notre Dame and finished fourth in the country. So um, for him to be able to give authenticity, uh, he has, you know, Trent Bray is another player who played at Oregon State as his linebacker coach. Jim Mahalachek was on Dennis Erickson's staff back uh, in that Fiesta Bowl team, so he's familiar with Corvallis. So um, to have those players, um, and then, you know, he's surrounded himself internally with a few guys that you know have played at Oregon State in in recruiting role and as far as in recruiting roles so you have James Rogers and Mike Doctor that are helping the the program from inside so um it gives it that family feel that it had lost there for a little bit and uh you know I I, I see players really responding and and recruits responding as well 
You know, Oregon is just such a beast. Do they just suck up all the oxygen, you know, donors, fans? I mean, are there people going to Oregon State and alumni go to Oregon State to root for Oregon just because they win so much? I'm wondering how much of an island Oregon State is really on when there's a big dog right down the street. No, absolutely not. I mean, if, 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 a, if a Oregon State booster, it, it's such a huge rivalry. Um, you know, Oregon has a huge booster in Phil Knight, but, um, you know, Oregon State has very loyal Booster, um, no, they haven't lost Beaver fans to Oregon. In fact, it might be one of the biggest heated, hated rivalries in in all of you know the the Northwest at least, and, and probably the Pac-12. Because I think you talk to Oregon State fans and boosters, and there's that um, mentality of they're doing Oregon State's doing it as a group, and uh, they don't have a, a team owner per se that's that's just you know doing everything for them. Nobody on the headsets, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, no. Oregon State does not have the team owner on the headset. Angie, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Take care, guys. There's Angie Machado, the publisher of BeaverBlitz.com, covering Oregon State football. When we come back, talking college football with David Locke. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ, PK, and David Locke joining us, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. David Locke's weekly interview brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai. During the month of May, get 0% APR for 84 months, plus no payments until January 2021 or, 20, or uh, on the 2020 Elantra or the 2020 Tucson. Check them out at Murdoch Hyundai in Linden or Murray. All right, David Locke, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. I'm driving that Sonata right now. They're incredible. Just so, you know. oh, nice plug. Good work. So, hey, hey, they sponsor. You might as well give a plug. Tell the truth. Exactly. Okay, I want to know about what you sent us a big group text as far as college football. You think that through all this, the Pac-12 and other conferences will never be known the same again. I found that fascinating. So there's all sorts of flaws and problems in this, but just go with the big picture concepts and, and we'll and you know, then if we need to narrow down we can't. I just can't see with the amount of money that's on the line that if Alabama says they're going to play and Vanderbilt says they're not, that the SEC is not playing. Right? We all, were you there? Frankly, yeah. yes. Utah, when USC and UCLA and Cal and Stanford can't play and Utah can, I think Utah's going to want to play. And they're not Alabama, but they're going to want to play. So my guess is that we're going to get to now everyone's got to have kids on campus and that just might be more than being able to play or some level of kids on campus. So I think we're going to get to the point where we have about 60 programs that are able to, that are going to be able to play maybe, maybe less. And my guess at that point is that they just absolutely rebuild schedules. They probably want to limit travel, probably need to do things close. Bus travels better than flying as much as possible, though it's all chartered. Um, at that point. And I would guess that we end up with, you know, call it four 15 team conferences, a 
Midwest, a South, a East, Southeast, some sort, and a, and a West. And that they've just built brand new schedules, BYU, Boise, Utah, Oregon State, Washington State, Arizona, Arizona State. Um, we might might need might need to go far enough west to add Nebraska, Colorado, um, maybe maybe part of Texas, and you've got your 15 teams in the west, and they just make up schedules and they somehow distribute the TV network, which is part I really haven't figured out, which is probably the most important part. We have a 16 team playoff at the end of it, where they just kind of. That's really what the season is, but we got enough TV coverage in the meantime. You're probably only playing eight or nine games because then you justify the 16-team playoff. And by the time that's over, we never see any of these conferences ever again. It's just a complete and utter realignment of everything. So the only problem is you struggled a little bit with the money and there are contracts in place. Yeah, but Um, all the contracts have to be broken anyway. uh, And I get that in the short run, but I I wonder if the Pac-12... I'm not totally dismissing because I kind of thought what you thought, but I also think that I'm of two minds here. One, that there is consolidation because of this. And if I were a Ute fan, which because we cover them as much as we do and there's as much interest as they are, although we're not, we are, if you know what I mean. You're in that weird position in the media. You you want stories, and they're a good story. We need the Utes to be interesting. We need the Utes and Cougars to be interesting and good. Right. So there, I think the thing that would worry me going forward is if six or seven of the most valuable programs in the Pac-12 and the Big 12 got together for a 12-14 to 14 Western Super League. I, I don't know that I can go with you on the Big 10 and the SEC realigning and all that kind of stuff, but I think that the, that would worry me. You know, there's been momentum for it in the past, and it hasn't happened. Could it actually happen? And if it happens, then do the Utes get left out of whatever the top flight is? That would worry me. Right. Okay. But the thing is that it's what you said, though. The Utes are more likely to play, and USC is more likely to sit. If it were flip-flopped where USC was playing, and Oregon was playing, and Washington was playing, and the Utes weren't, right, that's when it would really be a problem. Uh, So I I wondered if when the Pac-12 came out and said, we're looking at an 11-game conference schedule, it's because... They do have the TV contract, and they'll talk to ESPN and Fox and say, we'll give you the games, but we don't know when. As hotspots flare up, as teams have guys test positive, it may take us 20 weeks to play these 11 games, but you'll get them. All right, if so I'm a TV I'm gonna, network, I would take that. I would take I'm that. Gonna, let's go to the TV network for a second. Let's go to the TV network for a second. Mm-hmm. Okay. ESPN has how many games on a Saturday? Uh, well, ABC has... Four, Let's just walk through. ABC four, has X amount of games. Three. ESPN has X amount of games. Fox has X amount of games. And Fox Regionals have X amount of games, right? Well, ESPN2, ESPNU, yes, I get your point, right. though. So I think you literally are going to slot these. I, I don't think this is that complicated, actually. I think they're going to literally say, hey, everyone's paid their money. Maybe it's still and, – and I think the reason – the only reason the conferences still hold together – is because somebody there has to be some system that you're allocating the money out of, right? Or two, but and the money's going to be different. But I think you, that's I'm actually not convinced in this type of a crisis that you can't get the head of ESPN, the head of Fox Sports, the head of CBS, and have them like have on a little, literally on a whiteboard, all their different slots of when they air games, and figure out what's appropriate to go in those slots. 
And if Alabama's, if it's an SEC game and Alabama's playing Georgia, it's probably on. It's probably on CBS. They have the first right. They have the first right to that, and they put it in their slot. But I, I actually don't think everyone just wants to make their money. Like mm-hmm. I just don't think it's going to be some of that stuff. Actually, I just think it's solved with that driving principle. And but I just you're not going to have you. you they can't do it. It's clear. Here's what they can't do: that everyone's got to be in school to play. Like once one school's out, the college football season's over because that's going to happen. They can't do conferences because that's going to happen. Conferences are too big and too widespread. There's going to be schools that don't open in each and every conference. And so then they have to redo all the schedules. Like, but I don't crazy know. As what, right. As crazy as what I just said is, and I think it's nuts. I actually can't find the other solution. So try this solution then. The thing that changes, because you're, I'm totally with you, when you've got 14 teams in 11 states, they're going to be a, they're going to have different issues as far as when they can play. But if you do what the Pac-12 is doing and say, hey, we're going to redo the schedules, we're going to play 11 conference games spread over 20 weeks, ESPN and Fox are going to say, hey, a college football game in January or February is more valuable than putting on a college basketball game or a golf tournament or whatever else you'd be putting on. So, okay, hey, it's crazy times. We'll take it. We'd rather have a, We'd rather have that. If USC and Utah can't play, I think they're supposed to play the uh, Friday in early October, right? If they can't play then, if they have to play in January or February, even if the Utes can go, uh, what are the Utes going to say? Are they going to say no? They're going to play USC when USC is available. They're going to work with SC. They're going to get that game in. And if that means they got to play it in December, January, February, I think they will. All right, here's my one flaw on that. Okay. I think you're right. I think you're, like, principally right. The one reason I don't think that works is at the time in which that has to be decided, we don't know that USC can play. Oh, yeah, I think it gets bumped out there indefinitely. Hey, we're going to play it when we can. So how? Well, so then what are we doing? Are we starting part of college football in September? Yes. But USC starts in November? Yeah. Are we just starting college football in November because we're waiting for USC with no knowledge that USC is actually going to be ready? Utah will wait for USC, but Alabama will not wait for Vanderbilt. Right? So that's what I think gets really complicated here is this, this exact scenario we're talking about, where USC and UCLA decide, you know what, we're not actually ready to go. And... And frankly, if they're not ready to go in September, now, there's a few things different here. So USC is really interesting because USC has got those two summer quarters and they're both canceled. And so they don't actually have a kid on campus until like late August, which just doesn't work, right? Like that fundamentally, we, USC doesn't work. How USC is going to get their college football players on campus when they have a can- closed campus until late August, I don't know. Um, but let's say that USC announces that the fall quarter is online. Like, what are, we, what are you doing? Like, USC, they can't, then what do you do? Just Then USC just doesn't play football? But we can't, like, suddenly have USC waiting to decide, you know, we're hoping in November actually we'll start some classes. We're going to do a weird hybrid. Yep. And then we, and we wait, and so five teams have played seven college football seasons, and then USC starts playing? I don't think we can do that, can we? I, I, think, I don't know. Like, it's all new. I think you're going to see a hybrid right out of the gate because I think that these schools need the tuition money and the students and their parents think that, well, first off, 
colleges are overpriced, and can we all agree that they're overpriced in the first place? But when it's an on, a pure online experience, I think I think you know I, I have a college senior who just went through it, and he's glad he's done that he's not facing another year of this because he said that that wasn't the college experience. That was right. I don't know what that was, but that was not what I signed up for. Right. Uh, well, but so they're going to open. On a side note, they did a study. They had an article in the school my son's supposed to go to in the fall, which he's not going to go. Um, and they asked a. They had like you know one of those Facebook groups of the new class of twenty twenty four, whatever it is. And forty eight percent of the kids said they'll defer. Yeah. If they're online classes, like yeah. I actually think you're not going to have online classes at a bunch of. Now these are these are this is a smaller school. But I think some of these smaller schools are actually just not going to have a semester. I think they're not going to have an uh, online classes. They're just not going to have a semester. They're never going to start it. I was assuming that there'd be online stuff, and then the, some of the smaller classes, the labs, and uh, I, the Cal States when they did this, it's like some of the nursing classes and the labs will go ahead on campus, but you can socially distance in those. Those are smaller classes. But I think we all went to lecture halls. PK must have. Right. I think Arizona State's the biggest school. Well, PK, did you have lecture halls with like a thousand people in them? That, that's a lot, but certainly close to that. Yeah. Um, that won't happen. You know, I did think that they're, you know, they're smart, right? They know everyone, like, thinks that the UC system and these schools aren't thinking about football. Oh, they're thinking about it. Because Janet, and I can't pronounce her last name, helped me out of Arizona. Napolitano? Yes, Napolitano. Thank you. Former director of Homeland Security, now head of the UC system. Um, she started, in that Wilner article, she started talking about the hybrid model. And the hybrid model, which is they do some classes online for those students that, you know, absolutely don't have, there's, you know, the students don't have a place to live, right, if they don't have college. So we need to make sure that we're taking care of some of these people. Um, so it's, you know, a hybrid model where the classes are both online and certain select students are on campus. Well, certain select students can become football players pretty quickly. Yep. So that, that I think helps out, you know, that helps out the idea of getting football back up and going. I'm done. <laughs> you got? Uh, did you find well, out? PK, what you, you, no. What, what's your? All right. So PK, give us your. I want your scenario. So you think it starts when, with how many teams, and in what form? <laughs> well, I think it starts whenever. I don't know that I can specifically say a date, uh, put a particular date. I think the whole thing is fluid and flexible, and so it's not to the point of literally figuring out we week by week that's too dramatic obviously but i think it's closer to that than opposed to being a set schedule because i and we all agree 100 percent if schools xyz can play and schools abc can't well sucks for schools abc but the rest of them are going to play particularly if they're big boys the thing that i don't understand is how it is going to be in your mind permanent going forward that's where i'm not sure that i can grasp it or agree with it I think that's probably a little bit of a stretch on my end, but I feel like we're, and you guys know college football better than I do and college, just college sports in general. I just feel like we were leaning that way anyway. Um, and so you're right. There's TV contracts that have to get rebuilt and maybe it's not, maybe it's not. Yeah, no, I mean, I think my comment was that the PAC 12 is never as we see it. I don't think we become one big 60 team conference. Maybe. I don't know. Um, and that there's not 110 programs anymore. There's there's probably something to that. Um, but I think that it's I think that DJ you know 
suddenly the old super conference we almost had where Utah was going to get left out and, te- you know, with Texas schools maybe becomes a, a new possibility. Um, I would say I don't think any of this is good for the Pac-12, right? Like I can't – I think if you specifically look at the Pac-12, if the Pac-12 were a stock, it already is dropping. Um, but I would say this is bringing it toward a penny stock um, situation. All right, David, as always, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. The NBA is like close to – who plays first? NBA or college football? NBA. NBA. Who plays first? NBA. NHL or NBA? I haven't followed the NHL close enough. I don't know how close they are. That'd be a guess. I think they're basically on the same path. I think they're really similar. Oh. Who, uh, they're going to go to four spots, I think, from what I'm hearing in their conference. And they're going to try to play – they're going to try to. I thought the Sinclair CEO's comment this week was really newsworthy. That they would probably try to fulfill their um, games where everybody else. Had, that's the first time I've heard anything about the NHL doing any regular season. Um, who's first, baseball or uh, NBA? Baseball. Okay. They're all working together. I mean, it's not. What happens when? Four college players test positive on the same team. USC reschedules the Utah game. To when? Whenever USC wants, because Utah knows everything that's at stake, because they're smart people. (laughs) Man, there's got to be some end date on this, though. Uh, The NFL draft. The the NFL draft is the end date. There's been too much talk about spring football. Behind the scenes, they plan for it. They're they're ready for it. There's 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 no question. Like way too much talk. So you can't suddenly have a bunch of people play the fall and another conference play the spring, right? Yeah, you can. I think it'll happen. And what do you do about title? Excellent question. Pac-12 is just not involved in the title. That would be a first. Right, then you really are a penny stock. I guess it depends on what happens with the other leagues. I really can't foresee that. If they had to kick the playoff, that four-game playoff down the road, uh, two or three months, I suppose they would. You know, whatever makes the most money, I'll, I'll vote on that. I just don't know right now what makes the most money. Oh, there, there's zero chance of a four-game playoff, by the way. There's only chance of an eight- or 16-game playoff on the TV networks are losing this much money. Oh, interesting. Right? Yeah, I follow you there. This is the way that the colleges get their money back to the TV networks as they go to 8 or 16 now. Right. And then they justify it because they're not, playing 11, they're not playing 12 games. Okay, interesting. I'd, I'd be okay with that. That'd, that'd be all right. I'd like to see an 18 playoff anyway. All right, David Locke, Radio Voice of the Jazz, joining us here. Stay with us, 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Thanks a lot, David. We appreciate it. See you guys. There's David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, but a big Stanford fan, and he loves Pac-12 football. And you listen to his theories, and I just think the one thing you have to go with here is, um, I think right now USC is exactly what Oregon and Te- Oregon is exactly what Oklahoma and Texas don't need. Long term, I see the attraction. Short run, Utah's a better match. Utah is going to help USC be flexible. If Utah, uh, and and this is against the backdrop of mostly we're seeing red states, Republican states, um, willing to open up 
and to be more aggressive on the timeline. Mostly, we are seeing blue states, Democratic governors being um, more willing to stay closed and to want to go on a slower timeline to open up as they open up. That puts USC out of sync with what's going on in Oklahoma and Texas. So as USC tries to play a football season, they're fortunate to be in a league with a school like Utah because USC is supposed to come here and play. And do I think if USC says, oh, we can't practice here, we can't play, we need to move the game to uh, December or January or February, what do I think Utah's going to say? I think Utah's going to say, all right, it's a weird year and January's odd, but sure. Sure. USC's going to be a great partner. So I don't think we're going to see it pulled apart now. I think where David Locke is right is that There is always the threat that the big dogs with the best brands in the biggest markets want to get together and cut the little guy out. Now, what that meant 20, 30 years ago was the Power Five pushing away the group of five. And that's been going on for 20 or 30 years. What that could mean going forward is do 40 or 50 of the teams in the Power Five look at the 60, whatever it is, 66 teams, 67 teams, 65, whatever it is, and say... Yeah, you bought them 10 or 20, you really aren't doing this any good. Especially in the West. If the Big 12 and the Pac-12 bond, if the top six in each league or the top seven in each league get together, Utah could be in trouble. I think there's scenarios where it might work for Utah, but honestly, Utah would be better if the Pac-12 just stayed the Pac-12 for the next 50 years and they didn't play with fire. It's always a threat that could happen, but I don't think that has anything to do with the pandemic. I think in the short run, Utah is going to be good for USC. All right, DJ and PK, uh, we can explore that more, but we're going to take a break right now. Andy Toulson's coming up, former BYU basketball star, former jazz player, and his son Tanner Toulson is committed to BYU. We'll talk with Andy next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's time to talk basketball right now with Andy Toulson, former BYU basketball star, dad of the new BYU hoops commit, Tanner Toulson. Andy, good morning. Good morning, guys. So, Andy, just from a distance, I would assume that this was a complete and total slam dunk. Was there more doubt than I know? What was the process like? Did Tanner look at other places, or was he, you know, the son of a Cougar star who was always going to be a Cougar? No, definitely. Uh, there was. He was very interested in other places, and you know, we didn't know BYU was really going to be interested or recruit him until uh, really about a couple months ago. And, uh, you know, if you'd asked me a month ago, I probably told you he was going to lean in towards some, going somewhere else. But, um, you know, when it got right down to it, once they offered about a month ago and they were in close contact with him the last three or four weeks, and, um, you know, I, I really tried to stay pretty neutral and indifferent, just told him I'm going to support him wherever he wants to go because it's his life. You know, he's, he's the one that's got to get up and go to practice and do everything every day. And and uh, But my wife and <laughs> – his siblings didn't didn't feel the same way. They were letting him know where they thought he should go, and and uh, so no, I, he he really did consider strongly consider 
going to a few other places, and, and they were great. Um, but when it came down to it, I, I think that, uh, you know, all the ties, he's had to BYU since a little kid. I think that kind of came into play. And, and uh, you know, once he felt like they, they wanted him, I felt like that, that uh, helped him make his decision. I'm always interested in a case like this because you look at Mark Pope, who's done a phenomenal job. He's a guy who grew up in Washington, played in Kentucky, coached at the other side of the country, played in the NBA. So he's got a lot of varied experiences. And we had him on the radio last month, and he was even talking about how he's heard from recruits that they've been told, hey, I'm just passing through Provo because he doesn't have any specific ties to Provo. So in the case of your son, as he's making his decision, how much is he committing to a school versus committing to a coach? Well, I think it's got to be a combination. Um, You know, I told him over these past three or four weeks, I said, you know, take basketball out of it. Where do you want to go to school? Where do you want to get your education? Who are the people you want to be associating with? And and I think all the the four schools he was, you know, considering were strong in those areas, and and I don't think he could have gone wrong. Um, But you and I both know that a lot of things change and, you know, he's going to be gone on a mission for the next two years and, and a lot of things change and uh, who knows? I mean, you know, coaches all think they're going to be there, you know, going forward, but but things change. And, and I think you just evaluate a day at a time. And, and uh, you know, I think he's comfortable with, with going to school at BYU and, and where the program is right now. Um, They've got momentum, and they've signed some really good other recruits. And and uh, but we all know that things change rapidly in in the world of college basketball. So I, I think you just take a day at a time, and and uh, you know evaluate it as as things go along. While you're evaluating it, uh, evaluate his game for us, and and try not to be dad. Try to be that former jazz player and BYU star <laughs> who knows a lot about basketball. Don't sugarcoat it for us. Well, he, he's, uh, it's been so fun to watch for us because, you know, two years ago, um, kid was like six foot, slow feet, not very strong, couldn't hardly stay in front of people. Um, he always loved the game and worked really hard and, you know, had pretty good handles. He played point guard as a sophomore, um, and that helped him because as he got stronger and grew, he was able to keep a lot of those skills. Um, I mean, I think he can do a lot of things. I think that uh, he's he's a better athlete than I ever was, and he's pretty versatile. Um, he can get to the basket. He's, he had more dunks in his senior year than I had my whole career, I think, and he just loved to, once he figured out he could dunk about the end of his sophomore year, man, he just he just loved to do it. And uh, so it's it's been really fun to watch. Um, I think he's, if he can continue to get stronger and, and, uh, and get, you know, increase his quickness. I think he's got a shot to be a pretty good player. You know, it's it's hard as an 18 year old. You don't want to put pressure on any any kid. Uh, just I just want to have a good experience. Work hard, and and uh, I think he's in a, a great situation. Good program and good people around him, and and uh, hopefully it'll be a, a positive experience when he gets back from his mission. You specialize as a shooter, obviously, Andy, and took it to the highest level. How different is the game from when you played to now, where it seems like you got to be able to do a lot of things in order to be a player at a high caliber? Yeah, I, I think that the game is is spread out a little more. Um, there's more of an emphasis on 
you know, the three-pointer. Uh, they shoot a lot more now than they did when I played, and and that's why I was able to play is because it started to become more important at that time. You know, they just uh, put in the three-point line when I was in college. Um, my freshman year, we didn't have a three-point line, and uh, so it's it's become a little more wide open. You know, there's an increased emphasis on on not allowing physicality. You know, hand checks. Um, so it's it's more of an offensive game. I think uh, a little more open, and and I think. Uh, I think Tanner's skills, you know, fit well into the way the game has evolved. And, and uh, you know, I just hope he can keep working hard and, and have a good experience. Man, I'm just hearing Jerry Sloan. How many times are you going to make him work hard here? <laughs> well, and, and he, he's, uh, it comes pretty natural for him. So he really wants to work hard and get better. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think that's an issue for Tanner. He, he he just loves being in the gym and, and working on his game and, and uh I know he's got a staff, coaching staff down there that, that you know, expects that and wants that of their players and, and uh so hopefully it'll be a, a good fit and, and uh he'll be able to develop and be part of some really good teams. Last we saw of you in the public eye, you were an assistant coach and there was a coaching change and I remember talking to you at the time. You got out of it, you know, the the role of an assistant coach on the road and all that stuff. You wanted to be home more. And so, you know, that made sense. But how did you end up where you are up in Washington? You know, I took a job about five years ago with an investment firm that bought a business up here. And I was asked to come oversee a, a liquidation grocery business up here in the Portland, Oregon, Vancouver, Washington area. And uh, it was a good experience. And, and uh you know, we're still up here. We wanted to stay up here at least till Tanner graduated, and we'll kind of evaluate things over the next year or two, and hopefully get back to Utah. I think we'll get back there at some point. We have, you know, our children are there. I got three grandkids going on four, soon to be four, and uh, so we'll, I think we'll probably get back there at some point here in the next year or two. I don't know if you can give us a little help or no help. I'd be surprised if you give us a lot, but I'm going to ask anyway. Uh, missions are changing, and you know that athletes have had their careers really impacted based on, on where they went and, you know, the diet and can you stay healthy. And if you get sick, what happens? And you, you can probably quote more stories than I can about that. Do you have any idea uh, what Tanner's future is there? Well, he, he got called to Jacksonville, Florida, so uh, he'll be leaving in July. And, uh, you know, it's all kind of up in the air right now as far as, um, you know, I don't know if he's going to report to the MTC in July yet, or I, I think that's still kind of, you know, a day-by-day thing. Um, I hope his mission president likes basketball. <laughs> I hope he'll be the fan and, and lets him, uh, you know, get his workouts in and, and continue to, you know, not get too far out of shape and, and keep his body healthy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's easier to do that here in the States than if you were in, you know, Asia or, you know, a poor country in South America or, you know, getting sick from the diet and that. But uh, he's, he's going to be in, in Jacksonville, Florida. So not too worried about that end of it. Have you been able to follow BYU and the job that Mark Pope has done? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I've obviously basketball runs in our blood, and and uh, my son Connor played for Mark Pope at UVU um, the last three years before he took the BYU job, and and uh, so we've obviously you know keep 
pretty close eye on on things and and uh, watch the program and still fans. Andy Toulson joining us here. I'm curious, using your basketball eye, you must have seen a lot of high school games and a lot of youth, you know, AAU stuff over the last few years. And and you mentioned, you know, obviously the three-pointer is becoming a big deal. I'm curious how many guys watch Steph Curry and try to play like him because I, I just got this feeling that what he does is outrageous and mind-bending now, but in 10 years there could be a lot of guys trying to do that. Are you seeing that with 14, 15, 16-year-olds these last few years? Well, like I said, I, I think the game is more uh, spread out. You know, the three-pointers become a much bigger part of it. Um, you know, I don't think that kids that age are, are very proficient all the time. They're not that good at it, you know. Right. So it's there's not too many people like Steph Curry that can shoot it like he does and, you know, the quick release. And uh, But, yeah, I think he's definitely influenced the evolution of basketball and, and the way kids, you know, want to play and, and uh, you know, up and down and, and quick quick threes and, and score a lot of points. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think the games continue to evolve that way. And uh, a lot of good players. It's, it's been, been fun. Yeah, obviously, you've seen a lot, a lot of games over the past uh, 10, 15 years. Yeah, I don't doubt that. Well, you're going to see a few BYU games going forward, apparently. Andy, congratulations. Tell Tanner, congratulations. And uh, thanks for coming on the air with us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. There's Andy Toulson, the former jazz player, the former BYU star, and the dad of Tanner Toulson, who is now committed to play BYU. But mission first, two years in Jacksonville, and uh, then we'll see how things pan out. All right, when we come back... What is trending? All the headlines. You know, I think we need to get to the last dance in the 7 o'clock hour. We'll do that. Stay with us. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.